Welcome to another episode of Knife Making Down Under podcast. Okay, see, cut it out. That that drinking is gonna it's gonna sound really shit on the dude. Seriously, it's gonna sound shit. It's gonna drive people crazy. <clears throat> Start over. <clears throat> Welcome to another episode of Knife Making Down Under podcast. This is Merv Tansu from Tansu Knives. We have Kev's Forge. He's smiling. <laughs> and we have corner card on the other side of the phone. Uh, it's okay. It's, it's the perfect beginning. We're so unprofessional. And since I listened to last episode, there was something missing. Let's fix it right away. Fuck you, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, how are you? Really good, actually. Very good. Oh, runny nose, sore throat, otherwise good. Sorry, that was my continued professionalism. That was my alarm going off to tell us we had a podcast this morning. <clears throat> yeah, I it, was your, it was your healthcare provider calling you, calling you for <laughs> coronavirus result. Yeah. yeah, coronavirus is clear, but you've got gonorrhea and syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> oh. oh, man. It's been a pretty crazy period of time since our last podcast. We, um, well, The last one we interviewed... Kyle and Josh, and we had Wayne Saunders, and Unky Keefe was in the background, and Paul Aristarn was here in the background, but he didn't actually say anything. Guys, um, he was such a professional, like, he was so clean, I wasn't sure if I was listening to the same podcast. You, Kyle and Josh, they were so nice, nobody was swearing at each other, and I'm like, no, 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 no. we gotta fix it. We yeah. can't be, no, no, we gotta fix it. That's why I had to, I had to take control and say it from the get-go. Yeah, people might start confusing us for that other knife podcast. Okay, there's no other knife podcast we both know. I know, I know. <laughs> At least we don't serenade boys anyway. <laughs> Shots fired. So, yeah. gentlemen, we all came back from the Bla- uh, Australian Blade Symposium. How was it? What were you guys up to? Oh, I reckon it was one of the best ever, actually. To be fair and frank, I think, uh, all credit to Andrew Smith and the team that organised it. Uh, I think it was one of the best ever. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Corin. I think the calibre of presenters and, and the topics that were covered was just second to none. I reckon it was just awesome. So we've got a fairly high bar set now for anyone else that's going to come across. What about you, Matt? Oh, look, I had two sessions. I was really happy with my sessions and also I was very happy with the sessions I attended. I attended Sean McIntyre's uh, guard fitting class. I think you were there as well, Kev. Yeah. And yeah, I had so much like Eureka moments. I was like, oh, okay, I'm dumb. I have no idea what what I'm doing. Oh, oh yeah. You think? Yeah, you think like yeah. you you have an idea what you're doing. When Sean presents so easy and so simple with that with that giant knife, it's almost half the size of him. You're like, oh yeah, it makes sense. While it was a small knife, it was just a matter of perspective. Oh my god, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I missed that one. Well, I went to Josh's uh, social media one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Get some tips for our podcast. Yeah, just the yeah. tips. Yeah. No, I... Yeah. Yeah, I, there's no saving us. No, we're gone. <laughs> um, no, Sean, Sean's one, I think... Well, we'll have to say that Kyle and Josh were absolutely awesome. Like, you know, you get these guys over and you're not really sure about the people or what they're going to get up to. But those guys are a very tight unit. Those guys are very professional. And 
the talks that Josh did, uh, sorry, that Kyle did with Josh's assistants were just freaking awesome, man. Like, also, the video of the class, like while he's grinding. So Kyle, yeah. did, a, Kyle did a plunge line grinding session. So he had the grinder, but Josh was recording him live and he was being projected on a big screen. So we were seeing every second, every pass, what he was doing. It was great. Instead of like you being on a far corner of the room and only hear the buzzing of the grind, and I have no idea, you could see actually the angle he was approaching. You could see the how much he was grinding off, and he was saying, what will happen if you do this and if you do that? It was great. Yeah, that's much like um, the stuff I've seen from um, Niels over in South Africa when they have their, you know, the hammer-ins, which are much like our symposiums. They have the presenter doing his thing and they have a camera and a massive screen up so everyone gets to see what's going on which is it's just really good so could be a consideration for... yeah that's my dog that's my dog you probably see his, his reflection or something he's the toughest car dog as long as there's a glass or something behind <laughs> oh i wouldn't mess i wouldn't mess with him last night last night guys my daughter I think she saw a night, she had a nightmare and she ran to our room and he scared the shit out of him. He jumped and we, everybody got up and nobody slept after that. So <clears throat> yeah, thank you, funny. thank you, thank you, dear guard dog. So um, we, sh we should travel back just a little bit in time to the start of the symposium on the Friday evening when we got an absolute mad storm come through and... Uh, just that dog's not going to work, guys. Let's give him a nah. few minutes to calm down. <laughs> Never work with children or animals, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got both of them. My son is here and my dog is here. So I kept my son home. He had a, he had a surgery two weeks ago and I don't want to be in the, in the public while he's covered, recovering from this surgery. So I got both of them. So there might be multiple. Cut out! Cut it out! <laughs> hey, wrap some sausages around your son's neck and send him out to play with the dog. He'll be fine. <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be occupied for ages. <laughs> he's created a bond like nothing before. He's six months old and 35 kilos. He he's has monstrous. no idea about his size. And... No, he's monstrous. Yeah. He's got bigger paws than Mike Tyson with boxing gloves on. He's <laughs> huge. Yeah. So, now that the uh, crazy box the dogs, boxing dogs, now quiet. Um, yeah, go back to Friday night. Did you? Where did you get there, man? Where did you get to the symposium? Oh, uh, look, I managed to get the symposium by eight o'clock. I was really trying to be there at six, but yeah. by the uh, time I got there, it was it was wet. The whole place looked like it got stormed. I missed the storm, but it looked uh, wet, and I missed the dinner. And there was a monstrous storm came over from over Mount Tennant, and basically there was a black dot on the radar that was Thawa. It absolutely bucketed down, and we're all hunkered underneath the circus tent thing, and um, we got all the electrical cables down there for the presentation, and the water level just was just starting to rise and rise, uh, and it was there was a waterfall running down the stairs in front of the cottage, and it just filled up to the point where we actually had to dig channels out to clear the water out of the uh, historic tennis court. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was like three, honestly, three to four inches of water in places. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, people, people oh, were sitting down with their feet up on the, the backs of the chairs in front of them just so they weren't trapped in the water. So it's kind of funny. But it all passed. 
and we got the water drained and then Kyle did a really awesome talk on his mosaic Damascus. Um, that's that set the set I think that set the the scene for how well the symposium was going to go. I did a, I did two topics on the beginner stream. I did a knife design and grinds talk, which is okay except for unfortunately I was I was going to demo the knife print software, the online stuff, the the shrunk down CAD for knife makers, and there was no internet. So I guess that's one of the downsides of running it running it where you're in a rural environment. But, you know, we may do a pointed at the screen and uh, told people to picture this or imagine that. No, but it was okay. And then the other one I did was a handles and guards demo. Backing up on the Sean's guards talk was pretty tough because, you know, he covered all bases. So I actually borrowed from most of his talk and uh, just, you know, re-emphasized stuff that he said and then went on to my handles, which was pretty good. So I've already had some positive feedback from people. Okay. Corin is making a dick-shaped <laughs> objects out of uh, wires or whatever the fuck he has in his hand. <laughs> it's good to see we, you guys haven't changed. So nah. bit. I was worried after the last episode, but nah, we're on track. Nah, good nah, job, Corin. We're back. We're, we're back. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. We're back. Corin, what do you had? Corin, what session you had? I did knife making materials and supplies. So we basically did a hour and a half talk on different types of steels, alloying elements in steels, uh, abrasives, the use of different abrasives, why they differ, why we have so many different types. And then we went through the usage of all, basically all the most common things that we use in knife making, including the different types of glues, what differs, differs them, sets them apart, the different types of tools that we sell, what they're used for in knife making. Yeah, handle materials, where they come from, how they're made, the safety precautions. It was actually an hour and a half. When you think about it, uh, it's not very long. So it was pretty, um, pretty good talk, I thought. I thought it went quite well. So, yeah. Good. Yeah, those sessions getting extended to 90 minutes. As a presenter, it was a little bit... Initially, I was like, oh, fuck, how am I going to cover? Go up from Wasn't 60 it to 90? 90 minutes always? Or it's it always 90 one minutes, hour. yeah. Kev's yeah, so was it? Yeah. Well, I thought it was an hour last time. Nah. It's always been it's always uh, been an hour and a half. Uh, six hours of presentations <laughs> for a day. because uh, in the last symposium, I thought I talked for half an hour extra, but it was. You probably just, did, but uh, they had nothing yeah. to do with the length. Of the... <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's it, it's ninety minutes is not a lot of time. Like you can cover that space pretty easily. And, well, uh, yeah, every, every time you do it, you finish it. You're like, oh, I should have mentioned this. There's always like things that. You think afterwards or like a question leads to something then you're like oh i should have anyway the best, i did it the best thing about corin's talk i got there just like last minute walked up the stairs as he was handed out a, a free cling spore belt to people to try and they've handed me one and corin's like oi give <laughs> that my talk give that back so i'm taking it and run <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> Sneaky fuck. Oh, well, you yeah. didn't stay long enough to get a free uh, cling spore cutting disc either. So there you go. You're lost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. I did have to come back and pay for my order, though, that I pre-booked. Oh, well, that's all right. Yeah. yeah. That was good. Yeah. So what did you get up to, mate? What were your talks and demos? I had two sessions. My first session was a semi-forging. And some, it was semi and forging of it. So before the course, I... I knew that they were using Enyangs at the uh, Tharwa Valley, so I said, 
when Andrew said, what do you need for your plus? I said, I just need to be able to forge and see if they have a Cutler's, Cutler's dice. So the Cutler's dice are the round-shaped dice that Bruce Beamish sold. And they're like the similar to Japanese-style dice. And I was hoping they will have it. And the day before, I start asking Jackson, hey, Jackson, do you guys have these dice? And he's like, no, we don't. I'm like, oh, shit. I end up bringing my own dice. And Saturday, I'm thinking... For me to be able to demonstrate this, I really have, need to have these dice because I've been forging with just those dice for the last two years and I haven't hand forged anything for, for a while. And I got there and the Anyangs they have is the older generation and the dice don't fit. So I had the little come to Jesus moment like, oh shit, what am I going to do? Because with the, I don't know if you remember, Kev, like with those dice, I, I forged in like the four heats. Four heats, yeah. I have a semi to, to finish blade and... They had the combination die, which was close. But it, again, you're in somebody else's shop and things don't work as you used to. So it, and the forge took maybe 30 minutes to get to the heat. That was an, another unexpected thing. So the class was, I think, okay, good. But we had a little gap while I was waiting for the forge to come temperature. Yeah. And yeah. by the time we got temperature, it was okay. But fuck, man. You're a salty guy, Mert, but I'm going to point it out anyway. There's the old army adage, mate, the five Ps. Proper planning prevents piss-poor performance. Just going to put it out there. People can make of it what they want. Well, what was entertaining was Mert, while Mert was waiting for all this stuff to happen, he did put on a very good um, Swedish chef impersonation. I had, my, I had my chef jacket on because, yes, I used to be chef. And the best thing about those chef jackets are when you're forging, when you're forge welding, they have long arms and long long sleeves and they're out of cotton they don't burn and i got no use for them so i was wearing my chef jacket it was also yeah. a reminder for myself don't ever fuck up knife making so you don't have to go back in the kitchens we, sh we should do a group buy on those chef jackets but in black so that we all have forging jackets i reckon they're cool much better than kilts yeah not that anyone would be silly enough to ever buy a kilt i can only agree i can only agree i've yeah. got the forging suit <laughs> i've been doing the forging and grinding yes, suit yeah, for a while. yeah yeah but, um, that that comes out at um, Iron Fest, which yeah. we see. Or every time I have to make a video on one of the products. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. I think, we need, well, I think we need to do a group buy on forging tops. And let's make the new trend, a chef shirt, yeah. forging knives. Get them out of a den. We've got to get an open cut one. So Matty Mewburn can show off his chest hairs and we can show off our muscles. Oh. Just to get the girls going. Uh, he, can, he, can, he can wear a turtleneck and he'll still show oh. up. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt. And he'll still get and, and he'll still get eight offers for sex. <laughs> uh, eight of us or eight offers? Eight, well, eight offers. Oh, from right. Eight I heard it. I heard it too. differently. Sorry, I just didn't think it was quite as funny as that until it. Yeah. Oh, thank you. you know. He's the only blacksmith that knows how to use grinders. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh, we oh, love you, Matt. Yeah. Anyway, my second session was about heat treatment. It was, it was about stainless steel heat treatment, and I tried to keep it as simple as possible because I remember when Kevin Cashin was doing a heat treatment class, he was he was on point, and he was going with all scientific route, and I remember half of the crowd was lost. So I tried to keep it as simple as possible. I hope people got some out of that class. Sure they did. Yeah. That's it. Everyone gets something out of anything, so it's a good thing to do. Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty good symposium. I think that everything ran to schedule as usual, and yeah, frankly, the the venue was good. The food was pretty good. 
Uh, unless you got there late, Kev. Well, you know, 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes apparently is too late sometimes to get food, but that's all right. Mate, I, I, I'm fussy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm on a strict diet, and I just fucking look after myself nine times out of ten. I've always got to back up. No, nah, that's all right. doesn't matter. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, anyway, it's all good. And then, um, yeah, other than that, got home uh, Got home on the fr- Sunday night, thoroughly stuffed. And, Kev, you did a, another class afterwards. Yeah, well, I was there as the rep for the KAA, and um, Kyle Royal was running a, what we call the master classes because they're master smiths. That's not to say that the, you know, everyone there is a master or anything like that. But we we ran a the Knife Art Association actually took charge and ran the course. So we we hired the facilities from Thawa, and we we ran and managed the course. And yeah, it was a mosaic Damascus course, and we had some pretty good makers from around Australia there. A couple of dark horses, uh, people that were sort of a little bit unknown. And Kyle Royer took us through his process for creating a bar of mosaic steel, which is pretty good. Like it was some very, very complicated, very, you know, when you first look at it, you're thinking, shit, that's over the top. But that's how he does it. And that's what people are there to learn. So that, that went really well. Uh, we found out it was the first time Kyle had done a class with those numbers, but his, his processes were pretty good. He was very calm through the whole thing, very professional, which was nice. And everyone that was there, you know, did really well. They're all makers. They want to they want to learn, they want to do. So I think when Kyle realised that people were familiar with all the tools and had their heads screwed on reasonably well, you know, it just went really well. And we ended up getting ahead of time. People had finished their mosaic billets by sort of the sort of Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. And then they did a group project, which was doing a, a bar of radial pattern mosaic Damascus, which was awesome to see how that was done too. So I think what you're going to see is a little surge of uh, mosaic Damascus predominantly coming out from, you know, six or seven people that were on that course. Over the next couple of months, you're going to see, yeah, heap, heaps of different stuff coming out, which is pretty cool. I saw the pictures of the course. It was great. There was a lot of nice pictures of, but there was one picture I cannot unsee it. That was a picture of Andrew... Bloomfeld forging, he looks like he's straining, and you, Kyle, and you guys are like smiling. And, <laughs> but Andrew is hanging on to the steel, and it looks like <laughs> Kyle was pretty good value. You watch, yeah. you watch his stuff. He's he's a very funny guy, and yeah, I was just taking a selfie with Andrew behind me on the press, and then Kyle's jumped in, and a couple other guys have all jumped in, and we're we're doing our bloody uh, you know happy smiley face. Andrew Blomfield, when he was on any piece of equipment, had a face of a serial killer. Yeah. Like he looked like he wanted to kill people. And coming out, even out from the forge to the equipment, everyone's like parting ways for him because he just looked like he wanted to kill. He looked like he was really upset. But then he'd turn around after he'd done his forging and he'd, he'd be all smiles. he go, oh, you all right, Andrew? You look like you're a bit upset. And he's like, no, no, I'm fine. So then we called it, you know, we started teasing him about his forge face which looks somewhere between stubbing your toe on a corner of a table in the middle of the night and back when you were 15-year-old getting your first shag. Um, that's that's pretty much where it was at there. So, yeah, that no, was good. And like I said, Josh Josh can't be left out of the equation. Josh was good value. He recorded a whole heap of stuff that they're putting up on their YouTube channel um, for the Knife Art Association as well. They're going to do a little bit of a promo apparently. Well, speaking of a video, Corin, how about you tell them, the video you guys shoot in your place, that awesome video. Oh yeah, 
You had your you had your own masterclass, didn't you? Well, yeah, I wasn't supposed to. It wasn't ever planned that way. But I took them out, so just to run back to when they arrived. I went to the airport, picked the guys up from the airport, and I've got like a standard tour that I've taken people on. So you, when you remember when uh, Jane, when Cooper came out. We interviewed him and he talked about all the things that we did. Well, that's kind of what I had planned. But of course, the national parks were blocked and everything. We spoke. I spoke about this in the last podcast, so you can go back and listen to all of that. But the guys came that day that we recorded the podcast because it was pouring rain. We, could, we couldn't get them to a wildlife park because it was just torrential downpour all day. And uh, they came along here and filmed a video, which they released during that week when they were doing the masterclass. Uh, Josh must have done a bit of editing there at Thawa got it uploaded and um, it was a video of me making the hammer with the guys which is I don't know how many views it's got on YouTube now but quite a lot so it's on Kyle Roy's channel Um, it's just the guys using my workshop and I'm giving him a bit of a hand on how to make a hammer and safety safety (laughs) oh look I don't fucking wear shoes in my workshop people get so hung up about that it's kind of sad it's my fucking workshop if I don't want to wear shoes fuck off there you are. I've said it. No, we were talking about your fucking forging slippers, mate. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, you don't forge barefoot. That would just be silly. Yeah. So, yeah, so I've got some nice slippers there that um, protect the top of my feet. They're pretty nice, and uh, I gave a little demo on how they work. So, yeah, it's like wearing thongs on the lathe. You have to wear thongs on the lathe or else you get little bits of hot metal under your feet, which hurts, so you have to wear thongs. But, yeah, you can still get them stuck to the ground. Been there, done that. Nice. Well, other than what do you guys have been up to? Since last week. Oh, yeah. Well, mine was two or three days before the symposium, getting ready. Had John Worthington and Andrew Condick from New Zealand out. Then I had uh, Riley and Jamie show up as well. Then we had the symposium. Then I had the week's masterclass. Then on the Friday when I got home from that, I had a class at my place. So I had that to go till Sunday. And then I had another class yes, uh, Monday and yesterday, which was three blokes uh, I turned Yeno's threesome and one of my mate, good mates and a couple of his friends, which was a lot of laughter. And uh, I think we had to tone it down a couple of times because we heard my neighbour out back keep the volume down, turn into Kyle Royer mode and switch off the swearing. Actually, he, <coughs> sent, me, he sent me a picture of you wearing my shirt. Oh, that's said, right. oh, look, <laughs> look, look, Kev is representing. And he said, do you have one of Kev's shirt? I said, yes, I wear it and I go to town. I take a leak in the middle of the street and I, I squeeze <laughs> old grandma's tits and I tell him, it's Kev for Kev's Forge. Please don't forget that. This is Kev's letter from Kev. <laughs> you fucker. He didn't tell me about that until much later. I saw Anytime I, I, I do something dodgy, anytime I do something dodgy, I got to make sure I got my Kev's Forge shirt on. That's it, man. I'm going to go and wear my Tansu knife shirt down to the shops and punch out old grannies while I'm trying to get toilet roll. A cup That's on their it. face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyone, anyone out there that has a T-shirt representing their forge, they want to send Mert or I, uh, please do. We'll look after you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll represent you the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, knife making. It's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> So what are, what are you up, what were you up to, Corin? <laughs> I uh, yeah uh, yeah no punching old grannies or sneezing on anyone for me. I basically got back from the symposium, and um, I started work on some tooling for my fly press. The fly press you just bought? Yeah, 
the flyer press you just bought after we said you don't need any more tools? That's the one. That one. That one. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just checking. No, no, that's all right. It's a fair call. Uh, so I'm making some tooling for it, and uh, that, that seems to be going okay. I also went over to the hammer in at uh, St. Mary's, James Doherty's hammer in for the New South Wales Artist Blacksmiths, and while I was there, I managed to pick up a piece of forklift iron, that really thick stuff, you know, the 60 mil thick stuff. Oh, yes. So I thought, I'll make a striking anvil, and then I thought, I'll put a hardy hole in it, and how better to put a hardy hole than with a die filer? And I enjoyed filing so much, I actually filed two hardy holes in one hole. So I did that. I don't know if you guys seen it, but I did the... Uh, yes. The, <laughs> I did... <coughs> Coronavirus! <laughs> I did a star hardy hole so that you could put hardy tools in at a 45 degree offset if you need to, which I never needed to do. But I just thought, I'm there. I may as well. What harm can it do? And it was fun. That was actually pretty cool because I saw the first the picture... With a little star on there and i'm like yeah whatever and then i saw the next one which showed that it was about fucking two inches deep and that was actually pretty impressive it's it's a big it's a big hole it's a big star hole it goes all the way down i put it on machinist groups and um and said you know here's a little project for you i, I filed it in about half an hour to 40 minutes and um yeah. they just went nuts they were like no it's an edm it's a, a slotting machine and all this and i'm like nah I filed it <laughs> yeah did that discourage you from putting your star hole out on forums? Well, that's it. See, that's what Matt McVicker said. It's a shame it's not rusty because then I could have said, you drilled a rusty star. <laughs> and that doesn't surprise me with McVicker because I'm thinking similar. <laughs> anyway, you know, I'm not that kind of guy as everyone knows. I'm Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. where were we? Clean cut. Clean cut. Now I am, yeah, I'm shaving my beard off. Yep, you're drilling star holes. You, Drilling stars. You look like you. You look like you're 20 years old again. I don't look. It's shaven. That's a bit weird, isn't it? I cut my beard off. Yeah. In preparation for face sterilisation, Corona style. If you guys remember, at the when I came to the symposium, I had like a few days worth of beard. Now I look like I have a solid 15 to 20 mil beard. It grows so freaking fast. You put a turban on your Osama. I'm telling you. No, I'm telling you, like. It, <laughs> I'm about to go outside and I have a white Toyota with the gun mounted on it. That's how it looks like. <laughs> Toyota Hilux, very nice. <laughs> two, two more weeks and you'll be like the bloody Turkish version of Sausage Man. Osama bin Tanzu. You'll be like Sukuk. <laughs> well, I've been trying to clean the shop, but I, I had some orders. I was trying to get them out, but man, I kept cutting myself. I called, I actually messaged Kev. I was grinding a blade and it was already sharpened. And all this, I was on a J Flex, and all of a sudden I tilted a little bit too much and the blade cut the belt and the belt threw the knife at me. While I was doing it, it cut a little, <laughs> it cut a little deep, deep gouge in my finger. So that didn't feel good. I should have gotten stitches, but I'm thinking, going to hospitals now, really? I was like, no, I'll just, I'll just tough it out. I could use and, a one or two stitches, but and for the record, for, just for the record, Mert, I would like the listeners to know that I actually responded to you with concern about your well-being. Yes, I was surprised. I was so was I. Sure, like, yeah. So I was surprised too. There was no ha, sucko, that's bad luck. 
learn to yeah. fucking grind or anything like that. I was actually very concerned about the well-being of my mate, Bert Tanzu, wow. who just sliced a big chunk out of his finger. I Dan, shook that off. I shook that off pretty quickly, and now it's like, you dick. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. <laughs> then next day, I managed to, while I was putting blaze into my tempering oven, I put... I managed to get my fingers stuck onto the glowing unit, so glowing element. So that didn't feel good. So you can clearly see my, it's my middle finger, not that I'm, I'm. How rude. Yeah. Yeah. Give it as the bird. Give it as the bird. Yeah. You just burnt yourself. You just burnt yourself so you could do that. Disgraceful. Yeah. What's, what's with the tip of your finger? Oh, I cut it. That's a cut. <laughs> That's another cut. I'm telling you, I, I got nicks and bruises. Like I'm touching something. To heat to like to, it's so freaking sensitive. I'm putting salt on the dishes like nah. I'm yelping, forgetting there's a cut on it. Yeah, my hands are fucked. Fucking hell, though. Why you don't shave or haven't shaved the last two weeks? You look like fucking Norm Gunston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old Australian icon, old Australian TV icon. Google images, guys. Norm Gunston. If you don't know who he is, every time you shave, you end up with fucking the funny. One of the funniest things back in the day was. That dude was getting interviewed by someone and he had all the bits of toilet paper on his face where his cuts were. And they were like, oh, you should use an electric razor. And he's like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's using a meat eater or something. Other than that, just the usual stuff. And since I'm doing the, all the cooking at home, like I've been doing the shopping, everybody's in survival mode last, lately. Everybody's in the, with this coronavirus thing. You go in the shops, there's nothing left. <laughs> It looks like all the shops been raided. There's no meat left. There's no toilet paper. People are pushing each other. What the fuck? What's happening, guys? The world's gone mad. Is it the end of the world? The world has gone mad, Mert. The world's gone mad. It has fucking gone crazy. Uh, yeah, it started off, um, came to Australia, and no one was taking it too seriously, but it's gone from like 25 cases to 400 cases in a couple of days sort of thing. So, Well, if you remember, the, the what what went wrong with Italy was their attitude was like, yeah, I'll be okay. But Australia has worse attitude than that. We're like, yeah, she'll be right, Matt. We'll be fine. Yeah, no yeah, that, yeah. I've taken a different approach. So a lot of my time since the symposium has been putting in place a bit of a plan for the uh, for, for our company. And uh, that plan has now included as many people as possible, including myself, uh, now working from home. The warehouse is still operating, but the warehouse is populated by 20-year-olds and they're all just totally laughing at it that what do they call them boomers so ah you you were saying you were saying it's tim ford he'll be okay anyway i remember <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've left him he said i've left i've left him in charge nothing no worries there mate if he gets sick oh well it's only timmy i i don't think that's what i said so i might get that off the record but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> well you know there's always a bit of creative license on our podcast timmy we love you mate you're doing a good job Stay I, don't, well. I don't. I don't care what what Corin says about you, man. We like you. <laughs> yeah, regard, yeah. Regardless of all the things these guys say about you, I still think you're okay at times. Let's give him a shout out. Tim Ford was a 14 year old um, knife maker down in um, uh, well, in Sydney, and uh, he was going to shows by the time he was 15, selling his knives for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, basically making Japanese kitchen knives. He's now 18, and to put it bluntly, he works for me. So he works for Gamaco. So and yeah. it's it's legal if you if you compose a song to him now, okay? 
if anybody out there wants to write him a song, it's legal. You can do it now. <laughs> no, no, no. But seriously, like Tim's a Tim's one of our sales guys. He organises our shows. He's come a long way real quick, and he's a, he's a lovely guy. So, yep. If you ever need anything, yeah. call Gamaco. Talk to Timmy. I think he probably prefers to be called Tim. Actually, I'm. Anyway, sorry. Uh, old habits, old habits die hard. Sorry, Timmy. Got a feeling this is going to get me into some court somewhere in Australia. No employment court. You sure? The court, the court of the court of awesome employers. That's mm. about where it'll go. We judge you as an awesome employer. Um, Bad luck, Timmy. Tim. Now pay the court fees. Tim. Tim's awesome. He is. He's a great guy, and uh, I, he's just come so far in such a short way. And uh, I'm really happy to have him on the team. And uh, that's uh, that's the truth. So. Yeah, yep. we'll look after you, Tim. Don't you worry, mate. We'll look after you. Yeah, except when you're sad, yes. Timmy. Smile. Okay, right. Yeah, smile, Tim. Smile. What the fuck? He's got a sad resting smile. face. It's a bit. It's a disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where were we up to? Um, <laughs> I've lost track. Now. I don't know. Well, let's go. Life and times of Tim, Tim Ford. Yeah, no, the company. Yeah, so everyone's at home and. We've just got everything working remotely. I've got telephone here. My desk phone's in the shed, so I'm in the shed, officially yeah. working. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt and I were having a bit of a chat back and forth yesterday again, and you know, uh, for me, for me, this it's business as usual. Um, I'll be sending out emails to the people that are lined up to come on my courses, just saying, if you are crook, please don't come. I'll refund you. I'll exchange your dates, whatever. Just don't come. But I'm trying to avoid the hysteria. I'm not looking at media. If you if you turn the news off, the coronavirus is much less of a worry. So don't watch don't watch the fucking news and you'll be fine. You know. But the shop the shop thing is shit because I had to go and do a standard fucking shop the other day and you know I didn't want to punch people out because they were getting all the toilet paper. I just wanted to give them a slap around the face and tell them to pull their heads in. We had that period where the Canberra bushfires and or everyone had the bushfires coming through and people going psycho in this absolute mad panic. And now this coronavirus has hit. We've had two cases in Canberra and people are just got this hysteria. And it's like, fuck, you know, is this what the human race has come to that we can no longer deal with things in a, in a logical way. We've just got to hit panic buttons and go out and buy the most obscure shit from the shops and hoard it. And, and that's it. So, but yeah, like I said, for me, business as usual, the self-isolation thing, I guess, for people like Mert and I is a pretty fucking easy thing because we've been self-isolated now for as long as we've been fucking knife makers. So, yes, you know, it, it, like, I just don't go down. to people. I don't. Yeah. Don't get in the public. <laughs> I never I do. Don't. Yeah. don't go to the bulk, the shopping centres. Oh, why would I want to do that? <laughs> Parramatta Road yesterday was closed because, not closed, but it was blocked by cars getting in and out of Costco. Oh fuck! It's unbelievable. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. totally well, chilled about the whole thing. Uh, the the you know, yeah. you know my wife and I stocked up back in the bushfires, so we were all right. Yeah. Guys, guys, one second. Hang on, buddy. I'll make you peanut butter jelly. Yeah, yeah. Can you, you go do it. You look after him. We'll keep going. We'll just, guys. No, we'll keep going. We'll You're just right. keep. We'll keep going, mate. Turn your mic have off. Have you guys heard oh. the? Have you guys heard the? Do you want me to turn the mic off? Uh, nah, man. If you can stop oh, the geez, screaming, man. that would be good. What are you doing Please. to him? It's not that bad. 
feed the he poor just kid. for a peanut butter sandwich, man. Nobody fucking asked for a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> 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 that's that's such an American thing that he got he got used to. It, thanks to my wife. Well, they've been talking about restrictions of the food items and. And there was a meme, it says like from Woolies, now you can only buy two toilet paper and one rice or something. And Aldi's going to limit it to two, two migrators, <laughs> one, <laughs> one plastic <laughs> meerkats. And a saxophone. <laughs> yeah, saxophone. <laughs> Hang on, guys. I'm just going to fix my peanut butter gel. I'll be back in a second. Yeah. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. Mer Cooking lessons with Mer. Yeah. This is peanut butter. Well, we, we for, have... those, for those who don't know, <laughs> peanut butter is an agricultural byproduct. It tastes like shit, and I feel bad for anyone who enjoys it. But my son likes it, and I'm not going to judge him for that. So I'm hoping he'll recover one day. But yeah, I'm making a fucking peanut butter jelly sandwich. Oh, shit, I swear. This is not getting edited. This is not getting cut. <laughs> I'm in two minds. On one side, that, no, that audio no. is horrible. But on the other side, on the other side, this is the reality of knife making yeah. down under podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. One, of my, one of my students yesterday ducked out of the shops to grab some coke, and I said to him, "When you grab your coke, get me half an ounce up. of marijuana." No, I said, oh. "Fill up, fill up your trolley, and walk to the counter with your phone on your ear, and just say, oh, thanks, man. I can't believe no one knows that Coca-Cola cures coronavirus.'" And then you go in the next day and the shelves will be empty of Coca-Cola because people will just go fucking crazy. I, I did stock up on one thing, Kev. Whiskey. Because <laughs> I'm fairly sure... Seriously, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm fairly sure. Oh, man. I don't need toilet paper. I can live without it. But fuck, man, if I'm not getting my whiskey, the world's going to hear me. Uh, I have to put a little... Uh, actually, a big shout-out to John Worthington, Rippy Knives, Andrew Condick, Joe Knives... Uh, when they come and stay with me from New Zealand, um, room and board is met with um, whiskey. So they they bought me a couple of bottles of whiskey, which is back in the in, in with the collection now. So I'm set for whiskey, man. I've got so many different varieties. I could be bunkered down for about six months, I reckon. And uh, or after about two months, when I become a raging alcoholic, it might be different. Then I've got to switch well, to the the proper twelve and the jamo. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking I'll just buy a case of wine, but since I'm home and uh, the wine is not going to last, although I'm not a big whiskey drinker, I'm thinking a bottle or two bottles of whiskey will go a long way. So, yeah, I'm back. You'd, I'm, you'd be no, you'd be no good with that Turkish aniseed liqueur that you were drinking. Yeah. What was that one called again? Rakı. Oh man, yeah, that's good. But Jesus Christ, the way you drink that, you'd be out of stock in like two yeah. hours. Yeah, I'll probably like buy a whiskey or two. So some preppers yeah. will tell you the best foods to stock are the ones that are small in volume and high in calories and that sort of thing, and they last a long time. But my, my hot tip is the best alcohols to stock are high in alcohol, and that's pretty much it. Just get them. You need to prep. Yeah. Isn't it funny? <clears throat> the preppers in the U.S. will prep and stock guns and ammo, and first thing in Australia, people are rushing for toilet papers. Yeah. Do you know, that's funny, you know, that reminds me, I've read all the comments on that video Kyle Royer did, because I'm fucking obsessed with it, it's fucking obsessive, <laughs> and and there's somebody on there says, look at him, every time the guy strikes, Kyle flinches, the fear is real. Someone underneath it has commented, I don't know who they are, but it's a pretty good call, they say, 
You would too if you, your striker was a clumsy drunk. Oh, fucking thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. Oh, if the shit. shirt fits, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, but then Kyle, Kyle and Josh were so clean cut. And they, compared to the, all the pirates of the... In the... <laughs> it was funny, even like on that masterclass, we got Andrew Blomfield, who's, you know, what's Andrew? Mid 60s, something like that. He's an older gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. He won't be able to get, he, he won't understand technology to listen to podcasts. No, he'll be tuning into AM still. But, but Andrew, Andrew's there. He looks like this clean cut, mild mannered old bloke. And then when he gets a bit excited, man, the F bombs were just pouring out of his mouth. And you could just see Kyle and Josh just looking over at him like, oh, we thought you were nice. <laughs> yeah. But you can only hold it back for so long, can't you? Ah, oh, yeah, that's it. That's a natural thing for Australians. It's part of our standard language. That's how we get banned from every internet forum. Yeah. <laughs> Grades three to six, you learn all the best swear words you can possibly learn and just carry it through for the rest of your life. Yeah. My, my son starts saying it in, in not even like preschool thing. And apparently they said, they heard him say it and they're like, oh, look, he's been dropping F-bombs. Because like, oh, <clears throat> we don't swear by near the kids. Oh, and... Fuck off, you don't. We all just heard. We just heard you don't eat the fucking peanut butter fucking <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> That's not swearing. Hey, he didn't use the C word. We don't, we don't swear by the kids. Anyway, something happened. Something happened, and this this little guy, like he's three and a half or something, at the moment, he dropped something. He said, "Oh fuck!" I'm like, "Woo!" Yep. When when my young bloke was still in the car seat in the back of my car, I'm driving around. I had a Turbo Liberty Subaru, and it was all done up, so I go pretty quick. And I had the young bloke in the car and set him in there one day and Roe gets in the car and we're driving along and this bloke pulls out in front of me. I put the brakes on and then my, st- my son, it's only about three years old, stupid waker. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, uh, um, yeah, you're right, son. What a waker. <laughs> that, that's a daddy word, though. Don't say daddy sure word. Sure he wasn't a parent? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I've all been there, but I'm not going to admit to it on the radio. No, nah, I'll admit to it. I'll, I'll admit got, to it. I, my son I've got four kids. My son I've got doesn't. four kids, and none of them ever swear in front of me. But when I'm not, they think I'm not listening, oh. I've heard plenty. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought, man, my son's, my son's obviously adopted or something because he doesn't swear and then one day same thing i was out of earshot and he was talking to his mates and i could hear him and i'm like yeah good on your boy that's the way daddy daddy loves you you're all right <laughs> <laughs> that's it you're all right i won't have to have you guys the seen the the stickers that darlu was giving oh, oh yeah they're, no. they're not to be operated by fuckwits one yeah yes. that yeah. yeah they're old Mate, school man that yeah they're, they're... I, i'm gonna i'm gonna claim that right now dav winch Gave me one, and he'd stuck one on the on the lift of uh, the opera house or something. There was someone had stuck one on the goods lift in the opera house where he works, and um, he gave me one, and I stuck it on my power hammer, and that's kind of the first time they appeared in the in the knife industry. That was me. Now they're fucking everywhere. That was like 2014 or something. Yeah, I'm not saying invented it. Yeah, but they're a standard I, thing on a I power hammer. I gave one to my I gave one to my friend of mine, and the file, the, the little sleeve that it, all the stickers in, and I happened to leave it on the table. 
And my daughter's like, Mommy, what is this saying here? Like, yeah, I got in trouble for uh, leaving yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. That's Daddy it. Daddy's a dickhead. Daddy's a bad man. Bad man. Daddy's a dickhead. Don't upset Daddy. Don't ask for peanut butter sandwiches. So um, this friggin' coronavirus is, like I said, it's causing chaos. It's shutting shit down. It's just going mad. But unfortunately, the things that matter to us with regards to it are the Melbourne Knife Show was cancelled just recently. The the Guild Committee met and decided not good. They'll cancel the show. And the Knife Art Association also met <coughs> regarding the Queensland Knife Show, which was only a few weeks away, and they postponed it to the first weekend in October. So we're hoping that this silliness just goes away by then and we'll have the Queensland show towards the end of the year. Sydney show will hopefully run as planned. But I bet there's a lot of knife makers. There's probably a lot of knife makers out there just going, how good is this? They're going, how good is this? When was that? 2015. Kyra's just showing us proof of the pudding that he put that sticker on his phone. This this time, uh, five years ago. Yeah, yeah. fuck. Today. Yeah, a week ago, uh, Friday last, whatever, anyway, it was five years ago. Yeah, Friday 13th. Five years ago. Fuck. Yeah, so we got cancelled shows, which is shit, but, you know, bear with us, everyone. You know, for the for the Guild show, I don't think they've invested as much, you know, outlay in, in things, but, you know, it's very upsetting to see that show not go ahead for the first time in a long time. Kaya's upset about it. She's having her two bits worth. Yeah, settle down, buddy. Settle down. She wants a peanut butter sandwich. He, it's a boy. It's oh, a sorry. He. I just thought with a name like that could only be a girl. Maybe he's uh, just trying to prove his manliness. That's funny because one of my dogs, a cute, little, a cute little Jojo, everyone thinks he's a girl. And one of the guys on the course is like, oh, isn't she cute? And I said, he. And the dude, he sticks his head around and goes, oh, yeah? It's like... Has a look just to make sure. Well, you might have been tricking him, Kev. <laughs> well, that's it. You're lucky he just didn't put his hand down there and have a feel. Oh, <laughs> Croc Dundee. <laughs> well, oh, I just stuff. got a message. I just got an email from the Blade Show. They're saying they don't have any plans for cancelling as of now. But in US, they they uh, they banned any meetings over 50 people. <laughs> at once for like eight weeks. And the eight weeks just falls a week or two prior to the blade. And with this thing being in limbo and unknown, I seriously doubt it's gonna go ahead. Maybe, maybe they might postpone it to trying to combine them together. Maybe this is, I, I haven't heard anything. This is just like, maybe, but I don't think blade can go as is. What do you think, Orn? Do you have any info on that? I'm not booking tickets, put it that way. Yeah. I actually just sent uh, a message through this morning to Bill Burke that I normally go with and hang out, given my family's view of me going over. And but, yeah, it's a funny thing. They're not really overly concerned about things, but they're concerned enough. Uh, most part of it is that, you know, we're in quite old Canberra and shit's going crazy. If I go over to the US and get stuck there, that's their main concern about getting stuck, getting sick, and a mixture of the two, not being able to get out. Uh, so I just said something to Bill Burke today, just saying I'm, I'm actually pulling the pin on it. And they, it, he's even not sure if it's going to go ahead. He was saying the same thing. He doesn't know if it's going to go ahead. It's mad not to pull the pin on it now. It's pretty, uh, I would say. Um, yeah. You're not giving if, the vendors if much they, time. If, but... they, 
if they act now and faster, they can cook their losses better and easier versus yeah. Yeah. leaving it to the later. Yeah, there's no one. Chances are it's not going to go ahead. The internationals, mate, some of them have booked their tickets, but a lot haven't. And the ones that haven't, I would say, are pulling. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm gutted about it. But Oh, man, I'm spewing. I'm spewing. It's the thing I look forward to every year about getting away over there and hanging out with the fellas over there. And, um, you know, now, yes, now yes. apart from that, <clears throat> yeah, well, I might stay skinny, but I'm going to be freaking cold this year because I get five weeks extra winter by staying home. Maybe one of our American listeners can answer this, right? If if somebody in America doesn't have health care and they get sick with the coronavirus, do they get any like medical assistance or do they just go and cough and splutter all around and stay out in the in the wild because they can't afford it? They can't afford probably, it, that's the second. Probably second. stay out in the wild, yeah. You, or if thing. you don't have health insurance. So like they're, they're small clinics. So they're like hospitals and they're small clinics and... <clears throat> For those who don't have insurance, you can go small see clinics, but they're super expensive. So the the base thing is, if you don't have money, you die. Right, but in this case, if you don't have money, you spread the disease before you die. Probably. Like Probably. here, the poorest homeless person on the side of the road gets a cough. He can get exactly the same medical treatment as me. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bizarre. You go and do a, you go and do an online quote at the moment for travel insurance for. Like the period you'd be in the US, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. It's actually funny. Like you look at it and go, you, you, you go, fuck me. No way. And, and you're not covered for the corona. You're not covered for viruses. So there's just. I want insurance, not airfares. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Airfares, cheap as chips. <laughs> Jump onto Qantas and I bet you get a flight to the US. For yeah, I, I just bucks. booked a trip to I just booked a trip to Italy. It was like twenty five bucks. I'm going in two days. <laughs> what can go wrong? <laughs> you, hey, when you go over, can you bring back some pasta? <laughs> there was a joke. They're saying coronavirus is just like pasta. It's invented in it's invented in China and perfect and spread all across the globe by Italians. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, madness. Funny stuff. The days we're living in, eh? Yeah. Ah, so, outside of that, what are you, what are you got plans, Murph? What, Murph? what are you doing? I just called you Murph, which is my dog. <laughs> Slip of the tongue. I got, I got nothing planned, Kaya. <laughs> Kaya and Murph. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> what well, do you got planning the workshop, man? I was planning on releasing some courses, but I'm going to have to put that on a hold. Also, um, my father-in-law had a stroke. Ah. Yeah, that's yeah. not good. That's not no, good. Fair, and, you know. Yeah, look, there's a chance, there's a possibility Danny might have to fly to the U.S. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. She might she might have to fly to US. We don't know. If she flies, then there's a chance that she might bring something to him, or she might get sick. She might bring back home, and if she comes home, she's gonna be quarantined for two weeks. So there's a possibility. Anyway, so I'm just gonna be back in production per usual. Just make knives, and as long as post is working, as long as I can <clears throat> send knives and receive goods to be able to make knives, I'll be working. But I'm really concerned about the hospitality workers because a lot of the places in oh, US. Yeah. The, the governor said, okay, you shut now. So these guys have all this product in their stocks and they can sell it. Some some places are not set for takeaway food. Some places they have a capacity, but if you work in a nice restaurants, 
some of the nice restaurants don't even take away cups. They don't even have to take away stuff. So a lot of the chef friends that chef customers of mine, they place an order or I've been in contact with and they're, they're struggling. They're struggling big time. Some, some, some people that I know, they're just being laid off because they don't know when they, the restaurants are going to be back open again. And I was talking to a friend of mine. He was like, yeah, my whole crew, we've been laid off. And some of these guys have no insurance. It's going to be more like a bro science, but they're, expect, they're, they're thinking that a lot of the homeless might die in the U.S. A lot of people over a certain age might die. Yeah, it's no good. No good with that industry. I mean, you and I obviously had a chat about this Mur Murph is Murph. Murph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I got now, now, yes, just shit. Yeah, Aiden, yell at me. I deserve it. Scream at me. Fuck you, Kayak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about this with the impact, um, you know, on being a small business and the reality is knives are, uh, are a luxury that most people don't technically need and doing courses is a luxury thing that most people, you know, take time to consider. But now if there's a risk involved, um, you know, people like you and I, Mer, we could be sort of found in a situation we don't really want, but it's equal to the situation of a lot of businesses out there at the moment, which is not getting that custom through. Um, I'm kind of lucky. Um, I, I follow the values of Corrin's best-selling mug, which is behind every knife make full-time knife maker is a working spouse. So Ro, Ro's full-time employed. If things hit the shit in the knife industry and I could put my business on hold and we'll drop that income but I can then just bring it back later on and start it up again fresh. But, you know, I work from a workshop at home like you, so I don't have the overheads that a lot of other businesses do. So if you're suddenly stuck, you're like, shit, I can't pay the rent on the building, and then you get kicked out, um, it's probably going to be a very bad thing. But we can only hope that, you know, things continue to move along and not everyone hits mad panic. And, uh, you know, like I said, support your local businesses, support your local shops. Go buy a Every, cup of coffee at the cafe. Look, while all the supermarkets having food shortages, your local restaurant or your local cafe has plenty of them and they're desperate to move them. Just go place a takeaway order. Go go buy gift certificates. Okay, because those small piece places, they need your help at the most. Yeah, for sure. That was my two cents. Absolutely. In town here in Picton, we've got five pubs but we've got two supermarkets as well and we've got a coles and an iga if you go to the coles you get nothing if you go to the iga uh, you know they're putting aside roles for locals that support their business so if you go up and and if you go up to them and say you know oh, have you got any toilet paper you can actually get it if you're a local that shops there regularly like the guy said why why put them out for 50 people from somewhere else coming every morning to try and clear them out yeah he say, yeah, that's my little tip. Go to your local, your local independent grocer, and you never know. It's worth asking because those guys support people that support them. So it's good. My, my local, uh, I was reading on our local community notice board was doing the same thing. He's offering you know free toilet rolls to those people that needed it, but they had to be residents, prove that they were residents of our suburb, and you know probably wanted to have shopped at the guy's shop a few times rather than going there straight up. So there's a little bit of community spirit alive still, but, you know, hopefully hopefully people learn a lesson about how to act in this sort of situation. 
my wife brought up a really good point and and it's one that my grandmother brought up as well and my wife's grandmother said to her during the war during the blitz when nobody had anything and they were on food rationing they were all looking after each other like there was nothing to go around but everybody looked after their neighbors so if you needed an egg you got an egg you gave them something you know if someone needed something here i don't know if people would do it it seems like it's every man for himself yeah it's yeah. funny speaking of eggs they were the last thing that i noticed at the shop that were like sold out too and it's like fuck people are hoarding eggs now they don't last that long. Why and you can't I? freeze them. What's the what's the fucking point? I know it's madness. So knife, knife making, eh? <laughs> yeah. Keep calm and make a knife, people. Keep calm and make a knife. Yeah. Self isolate. Get into your workshops. Make make cool shit. Post it up online. Well, eliminate. You say, eliminate. You say post it, but Kev, I realized I posted once since the since the symposium. While all of the shit going on, you you don't think like knife making is that relevant or there's feels like there's so much other stuff. And I just posted something that it was also about this crisis as well. But you don't feel like, hey, I finished a knife. There's a look at this, too, uh, look at the handle. You don't feel like it. Look, people, people are going to be looking. They're going to be actively looking for a distraction at some point. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And honestly, for us whose hobby is knife making and you guys whose business is knife making, like, our lungs are going to be fucked one day anyway. Like, we've all pretty much come to terms with that. We wear respirators. We're used to it. You know, what else better is there to do than lock yourself in your shed and do something? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, said, I'm happy to self-isolate. Get in there and forge some fucking knives. Make some steel. Um, I've got a rolling mill delivered, which I've got to go and pick up. And then I can start doing a bit more Damascus steel. New tool, new tool. New tool, yeah. i got to work out where some of the old tools are going to put the new tool in place. You've got that big shed down the front, the double car one. I know, that's where I'm going to move my Paragon down to that because I don't do a lot of the stainless heat treating. Or if I do, it's in small batches, like I said, so, or the W2 I'll do out of the Paragon. So I'll just go down to the other garage to do the heat treating put the rolling mill up in the main shop, start making some steel, get some steel going. No, that's a fair call. Fair <clears throat> call. Yeah. I'll have to put an order in with you soon and get some more bloody uh, 1084 and 15 and 20. Better not be running out of that. Didn't you just get a sheet of each like we like two weeks ago, four, two months ago? If I'm self-isolating, I'm going to make a lot of steel. All right. <laughs> hey, other people need 1084 too, okay? Don't be... This hey, is how, how the hoarding starts. Listen, how long does it take you to drive to Gamaco? A panic buy on 1084. Let's go. <laughs> Matt, how, how long does it take you to drive to Gamaco? Three hours. I'll, go, I'll be there before you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll fucking be Kev, there before you. Kev, quick. I heard the rumor. He's wrapping the 15 and 20 with the toilet paper. Oh, Free roll of toilet paper with every bar of steel. How good would that be, mate? Fuck, I'd have people all over Australia buying steel just to get toilet paper. Yeah. Uh, no, you know what will happen? People will be, you'll be rubbed out of your, in front of your porch. People will be ripping your, ripping the package. Like, oh, that looks like a toilet paper. What I said the other day on one of the, on Facebook was um, one of the guys was saying, oh, yeah, you should be selling toilet paper. And I'm like, you're a blacksmith. You should forge like a hook crack scraper or something that you can scrape it off with. <laughs> like, you don't need toilet paper. Use your fucking imagination. Yeah, uh, when I was with Andrew Condick, 
um, on the way back from the masterclass. Mertz, look at Mertz, Mertz going, that's a good idea. James, yeah, Damascus shit scrapers, boys. Damascus shit scrapers. Oh, Damascus steel. Damascus You heard it. You heard it here first. Nothing's going to damage that Damascus steel. That's it, Damascus steel person. You'd, oh, you'd, I, you'd want to make made, it real. made to be abused. Remember, <laughs> it's made to be abused. <laughs> I wouldn't make them out of high carbon steel because um, you know how we know how things patina. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's a little bit rusty. No, yeah, that, yeah. right, that's a shit way of losing damage steel. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, we were Andrew Condick and I stopped in at Woolies to get some stuff, and um, he he saw the empty toilet roll aisle and he was having a laugh about it. And this little old lady, she's like eighty something. She's about three three meters down, waiting in the register, and she looks up at me and sticks two fingers in the air and goes, "You'll have to start using your fingers soon." Oh, like, sorry? And she goes, you'll have to start using your fingers soon. So I walked over and said, nah, a plastic spoon and a chucks cloth. <laughs> and you should have seen her. She thought she was going to outgross me. No fucking way. <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah. yeah, well, the chucks ones are reusable anyway. So, yeah. you know, they're very well, you know, environmental. Anyone... Um, Anyone with kids, Benefits. anyone with kids knows that if you didn't use disposable nappies, you had to fucking chuck them in the bucket and put them in the washing machine, and move along from there. So yeah, I've got to make some tooling for my press. Having seen Kyle do, he he does most of his Damascus in his press. So I've seen his I've seen his stuff, and I was sitting at home and I had this little moment. I grabbed Andrew Condick and I said, "Come out to the garage with me," and I pulled this big fucking steel container out from the bottom shelf of a dusty shelf there. And I used to have a manual hydraulic press, which I sold. And I kept the big box of dies that were with it. I didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And I've opened it up and there's some squaring dies and there's some flattening dies for the old press. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I just have to weld this shit onto a bit of steel to put in the squirrel press and I'm laughing. Nice. So, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm doing it all for the fly press at the moment, as I said. So I'm making a making interchangeable tooling and yeah, just fucking around really. But I haven't done any oh, squaring dies yet, but I will. It's good fun. But it was really good it's, fun. It, you know the the ram comes down and inside the ram there's a hole that the tooling mounts in, yep. and then there's two bolts on the on the flange on the bottom of the press on the table that you mount your tools to. So what I did, I drilled two holes directly in the center of a piece of steel which bolt to the bottom flange and then i brought the top i put a center punch in the middle and brought a center punch in the top tool down and they don't line up they're out by about three mil and i'm like oh that's no fucking good so i got the die filer and i elongated the holes on the bottom plate now it works die filer for the win you don't care do you but every time i find an excuse to use the die filer i'm excited right but they star holes. I think die filer looks like a, it's jerking off. That's what gets you. Going. Somebody said it on one of the international machining groups the other day. We used to call it the jack off machine. <laughs> that's not mine. That's somebody from their apprenticeship. And so nothing's really yeah. changed. We all look at it the same pistoning motion and think, hmm, we're just mm. little boys. That's all we are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, the McVicker just springs to mind the dirty perv. He's, you talk about that sort of. He's got it, and now I know why he's got it. He's a bad man. He's a very bad man. He's a good man, but a bad man. 
So, uh, yeah. yeah. He's, the, he's the guy that got me into wall down. So now I'm fucking trying to... Mich- I'm next... I've got three projects on the go at the moment. So hold me to them. None of them are a knife. The f- oh, actually four. I do have a knife on the go, but that can wait. I've got to make some... The dies for the fly press. I've got to make a new higher lockdown nut for the top of my wall down, which Matt sent me all the specs for, so I can make that now. And I've got yep. to make... Um, I want to make... What do they call them? Um, the dies that go between the... I've got a tool holder on my power hammer, which goes around the bottom die, and you can put different tools in. I want to put yep. in... I want to put in <clears throat> tools that stop the ram coming down at certain heights. So you have one at like 10, 15, 20, 25 mil. So you can... Stop. Yeah. Stop dies or whatever. So I want to make yeah, some stop, of those. Stop blocks. Yeah. yeah. I've got to do them for me uh, um, press as well. Because when Kyle was doing his class, we had the, we just had pieces of 1084 stacked up. Yeah. And right. it's like, well, five pieces is an inch and a half or whatever, and three pieces is less. And that's how we did it there. But it was much easier just to chuck your die in with those stop blocks on there. Sean, down at Sean's workshop in um, Victoria, he, he has, and I hope he doesn't mind me giving this away, but it's quite simple. He just has different size stock cut to the right length to sit onto the dies. And he has one for each side. So because the squirrel press yeah. is quite long, so he puts one on each side and it brings it down every time to the right height. But I want to do yeah. that on the power hammer. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I want to do it on the press, but I want to weld it to a little bracket that sits over my flat plate. So it doesn't fall off. Yeah, so it doesn't fall off. Yeah, on the power hammer, it's the same. I've got a square hardy off the side of my bottom die, which I made up to hold tooling, which works really well. But I'm going to drop these little stop blocks in there that'll just stop the, the top coming down. Might have been um, Dave Lish or Steve Schwarzer. That if you go and watch some of their, they've they've got the same blocks on the bottom, yeah, and they look really cool. The way they've done it looks really cool. So um, pop onto Instagram and have a look at one of those guys. And how long ago? Years? Oh no, not long ago. No, no. Dave Dave Lish is always putting up cool shit, especially in his stories about how he's forging stuff. Um, and you see all the dies and tooling that he's using. It's pretty cool. Just doing it there in the open, like he'll forge a full tomahawk. I put it up on his Instagram story and you just see pretty much the whole process go through. See how he does all his flattening and squaring and shit like that. So definitely worth having a look at his stuff. Yeah, right. Do you guys have any tips for knife makers? Are we going back to our program? Jesus. Right. Uh, no, I'm just... <laughs> well, why have you got both on your phone scrolling like a teenager? <laughs> I'm not scrolling on a phone. I'm doodling on a pad. Oh, that's old school. Yeah. Tim Ford. What have you written there? I, I just write notes when you're going through the podcast. So I just write things that we're talking about. And because we were talking about Timmy, I write Tim Ford. And then I've been drawing patterns around Here it. we are. Why there's a, a love heart right next to it, Ken? <laughs> Here we are, super worried about Craig from Knife Talk and your bloody... Oh, my God. He's 18, I suppose, so it's open season, yep. is it? All right, so my tip for knife makers. What did I learn I, at the I, symposium? Sorry, guys, sorry. Aiden, go on a TV room, okay? That is almost done. I think my tip is never be closed-minded to other thoughts or Aiden, ideas. please go. Please go now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Go now if daddy's going to give you a peanut butter sandwich. Give him a minute. Let him do his thing. Did he just run off and say, fuck you, Dad? I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's your tip? 
So I reckon never be closed-minded to ideas because at the symposium, I saw a lot of people, and that's the thing about it, like we have different presenters doing the same topics, right? So one year Kev might do one topic and the next year he'll do a different topic and someone else will do that topic. And it's totally different. People say, I've already seen it. But when you see another presenter come along and do the same topic, they have a totally different approach to how they get it done and what works for them. And they're both valid. Often, or normally they're both valid. There's a few times where you have to say, well, that compromises the strength and integrity of what you're actually making. But that's that's very rare at a symposium. Um, normally they're all valid. So don't be too close-minded. Like the way Kyle puts his Damascus billets together for uh, Mosaic, for example, it struck me as particularly labor-intensive. But there's absolutely no question it works for him. And he's not going to change because he knows that he's, his theory on the matter is that what time he loses doing it that way, he saves not having to do it again when it doesn't work. Oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, my tip is don't be too close-minded to ideas. Yeah, look around. Don't like I said. Yeah, don't get stuck on one thing and just and just keep that as law. Uh, we do it as presenters as well, man. Like we go and sit on on people's classes. You know, the presenters at the symposium, you'll see them sitting in the background looking at other things people are doing, and we're we're taking notes, man. Like it's funny with Sean's guard sort of talk because I learned to use my mill when I was teaching out at Tharwa, and, and we just did things quickly, like mill a hole, get it out to the students straight away, you know. And I was never taught by a machinist anything about milling. I just was taught this is how we do it in a class environment. So I was saying to Sean on that talk, I said, oh, you know, I just realised that I've been doing the wrong thing for five years and I was trying to slow the processes down to get a better result. But as he said to me, well, you're just slowing down getting it wrong. I went, yeah, I know now. So you go and pick one thing up at one of these events that's going to save you time or give you a better finish and you're getting value out of it. No question at all. So that's that's my hot tip. Cool. You got a hot you got a hot tip, Matt? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. We need the Royals back, we really do. <laughs> <laughs> well fuck you can. <laughs> I just asked if you got a hot tip. <laughs> I called so, you Mert, not Murph. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last week, well, this is not a week, but I'm just gonna, ex- I'm just gonna explain something I did. Might be useful for the other makers who might have a son or daughters. My my son wasn't well, and after the surgery, so I had him home with me, and I took him to shed, and I found a piece of scrap wood, and we made a sword together. I let him file the sword, and he was so happy. If you have a if you have a daughter or son and just spend a little bit of time with them and make a make it make a tool with them make a knife or if you got a or make a sword let him let him play with it it was such a and also you'll get you'll get more bonding time and they'll be more interested in what you do just like let him let him spend time in your shop make make something with them yeah a- absolutely can't agree more yeah do it when they're young and want to get involved not when they're nearly eighteen and you encourage them to come up to your workshop and they just get in their car and drive off. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've been there, done that. My oldest boy was, um, him and his friends were not exactly, what would you call it, um, career-minded. And 
the the solution to that was I got him into the workshop and we made catap- we made a like a full Roman catapult for one of their school projects, which was awesome. It was a trebuchet. We, we, it wasn't a big one, but it threw things, you know, a long way. And um, they built a go-kart. Yeah, they welded up a go-kart in the shop. Nice. Fuck you. It wasn't very good, but, you know, they did it themselves. So, And now he's a he's a pro welder. Yeah, sweet. My tip is probably leaning towards what you were just saying there is um, don't forget that there's plenty of stuff that we do as knife makers where if you need to up your skills, have a look around your local community because uh, having done the, the or been, been not done, but been at the class with Kyle and them, I need to up my game on my welding. And I've got a good welder, I just don't know how to do it. So I'm looking at the moment just enrolling into one of the, you know, four nights a month bloody welding course at CIT. And if you know someone around or if you've got a friend around the area that's good at a skill, ask them, do them a swap. Ask them to learn how to welding and you'll teach them how to grind a knife or something. That's that's a tip yeah. for me is expand your horizons. Go and do something that is, you know, linked to but not necessarily straight in line with knife making. No, that's uh, dead set, mate. Good good tip. On our podcast thing, we've got history. Do we want to do a history section? Shit, yeah. Let, let's get uh, something out to the listeners so we can forget about all the other bullshit going on. All right, so let's start. The book I've got again is the same one I've been reading from in the past, Edgemaster, 50 Australian Knife Stories by Keith Spencer. So last week during the episode, if you go back and listen to it, Kyle Royer asked about an all-Australian knife that he could make. And we spoke about uh, ground axes and Aboriginal axes and things, but we didn't really talk about a knife that's all-Australian. This article that I'm going to read dates back to February 1991 by Keith Spencer, and it's called The All-Aussie Knife Concept. So let's see what Keith had to say about it. I haven't read this before, so let's go. Yeah, cool. It starts off, come on, guys, Australian eyes. Custom knife makers I've spoken to recently may be tiring of hearing my current catchphrase, but two things are desperately overdue in this country. Two things that have to happen in order to establish our independence in the world of cutlery. One is to create distinctly Australian knives, and the other is to develop an Australian knife manufacturing industry capable of exporting knives unique to this nation. The general reaction by experienced makers is, there are no new knife designs that every conceivable shape has already been invented. Another argument is that there is insufficient time and no need to try to invent an all-Aussie knife because they can see all that can be produced in popular proven shapes. And I disagree on both accounts. Whilst I concede that cutlers over the centuries around the world have at one time or another devised every shape and feature imaginable to the suit endless applications, not all the combinations of available features have yet been assembled to suit specific needs. There is a growing need in Australia for a specific knife type. Yes, I can understand part-time knife makers have only a certain amount of time they can devote to their beloved craft and maximising the financial return for their efforts by producing mainstream shapes and styles for sale both in Australia and overseas. But custom makers, guild members in particular, have a vested interest in our small, albeit steadily expanding knife-making industry and must accept responsibility for yielding Australianised work so as to establish independent status among knife makers of the world. Aussie knife makers have proven they can favourably compete with their overseas counterparts in terms of accepted blade lines, adornment and finish. 
We lag behind only in the area of over-the-top artistic creations and the use of trend-setting synthetic materials and special effect processes on blade steels. Full-time, progressively-minded American knife makers have set the scene for some time with new ideas in the marketplace. Our diligent band of dedicated knife makers, mostly past-time craftsmen, whose numbers are swelling and skills improving, ought to devote 10% of their time and resources towards researching and experimentation of the all-Aussie knife concept. This would hardly hamper their regular knife-making activities, but would bring an important new dimension into their work. Collective focus on the concept, I am convinced, would open the door to a long-overdue Australian-based cutlery industry, supported by top-shelf makers providing prototypes for consideration as factory-produced knives. The number of imported knives purchased nationwide is incredibly high considering the population, and due entirely to our preoccupation with outdoor activities. A ready-made consumer market exists for the right design at the right price, that is marketed in the right way. In a short space of time, such a commodity could be set up for export to users in any country where reliability in a rugged terrain is of paramount importance. A thriving cutlery export business would also aid the nation's ailing balance of payments. An all-Aussie knife need not look pretty, but must be unique and very practical. Consider original utilitarian knives of other countries that have proven popular sellers in the world arena. The top of my list are the Canadian D.H. Russell Belt Knives, a design award-winning range researched and produced by Dean Russell for use in the forest and tundra regions of Northern America. Sure, there are no new individual features introduced to the design. However, known features have been expertly combined to produce an excellent using knife appropriate to the environment for which it was manufactured. Dean Russell spent considerable time with hunters whilst he assessed their specific requirements in an edged tool. The design award model RBK1 is strange looking, but performs admirably when palmed for use. Nordic Puku knives are in the same category. They are not aesthetic works of art, nor do they bear the features that cannot be found in other knives. Again, it is the arrangement of the features that makes the knife instantly recognisable as being Finnish and the design most suited to Scandinavians. The French boast a number of traditional knife styles that are readily identifiable, of which two folding varieties are best known, the Opinel and the Ligoyle. Each have distinctive variations of folding knife features, and in the case of Opinel, attractiveness has been forsaken for sheer practicability and simplicity of operation. I am amazed at the endless array of knife-cum-machete shapes that have appeared from the jungles of Asia and South America, fashioned by villagers from all sorts of metal, scrounged as a result of Western white influence. Unusually shaped knives, a la spears, are in evidence around the African countries as well, and I am fascinated by the ability of these semi-primitive races to forge functional edged tools to fulfil their respective needs in conjunction with various environments. Such people are influenced by world trends introduced by sophisticated knife manufacturers and continue to belt out shapes that serve their day-to-day dicing, chopping and slashing needs. Of course, these people will opt to use factory-made shapes introduced by those who enter their environment from the so-called civilised world, provided they can afford to pay for machine-made edged items. Not all the introduced shapes and styles are especially suitable. But 
the enlightened, perhaps infatuated recipient will choose the nearest best from what is offered and make do with it. Hang on a minute. Isn't that what Australians have been doing for most of this century? That is, choosing from a vast range of imported knives the one that best suits our needs, rather than manufacturing to our own specific requirements. Why? Dozens of countries have thriving knife-making industries to satisfy their domestic needs and overseas markets. Incredibly, some countries have very little domestic demand and rely almost entirely on knife exportation. Even some third-world countries manage to make and ship knives to distant users. Admittedly, our population is low compared to that of most nations, but our knife usage generally is high, and Australia's fine climate lends itself to a high level of outdoor recreational activities, most of which require a knife of some description, close by at all times. And let us not confine ourselves to considering only the recreational variety of knife needs. This country consumes large quantities of trade knives, that is butchers, boning, skinning and filleting types for use in meat and fish processing industries, as well as by farm state and station workers nationwide. Amateurs who hunt and fish often prefer to use basic trade blades in preference to fancy hunting styles with stag handles and ornate guards. The hospitality industry too consumes large numbers of specially shaped knives, that is cooks, carving, slicing, bread, paring, for use in food preparation in restaurants and hotels, as well as in households all over the nation. There is also a vast, untapped industrial market for potential Australian knife manufacturers to focus. I mean the specific knife requirements of telephone technicians, energy commission linesmen, emergency services personnel, police officers and so on. The list is endless. Of course, one cannot expect mass knife manufacturing to be a natural extension of custom knife making. For the average custom maker, each creation is a labour of love. To ask a maker to produce 5,000 identical knives for a retail store or for trade, hospitality or industrial, industrial usage would evoke a rejection because knife making is then reduced almost to a mindless chore devoid of joy. The role of custom knife makers in a knife manufacturing industry entails the provision of practical prototypes for production, which will prove popular among domestic and overseas consumers and collectors. Have no illusions regarding the credibility of my comments. Believe me, Australian knife users, collectors and enthusiasts have lots of ideas relating to all Aussie knife designs. The seven-part series entitled In Search of the Great Aussie Knife, which appeared in this magazine, Australian Shooters Journal, in 1989, generated much interest and enticed many to use the do-it-yourself articles to transform knife design ideas into personalised working tools. Novice knife makers wrote letters, sent photos and even samples of their work to me stressing the features they prefer to see in knives of their choice. They have made themselves known to me at Melbourne Gun Show shows I attended in 1989 and 1990 to show their work and discuss Australian knife concepts. Following on to the 1989 series on making a knife using only hand tools, the Kakadu knife, fashioned for the series, is now in its final stages of refinement. After 12 months of research and modification, the Kakadu bushcraft knife is especially designed for bushcraft exponents and is my humble contribution towards an all-Aussie knife concept. Ever present on my desk is a letter opener crafted from a branch of acacia called the Streaky Bay Special, sent to me by its South Australian maker, Mike Hunt, in May 1989. Actually, it's a wooden template designed by Mike, who reckons it would make a good filleting knife. I agree. 
There is something unique about the flowing practical shape that is most appealing, but difficult to define. The streaky base special fits into the palm like it sh- I should have like I should have been born with it there. Another living example of utilizing existing features in a peculiar way to create practical individuality in accordance with a particular environment, in this case, south coastal fishing. A classic example of individuality in a knife was the theme of an article in the ASJ July 1990 edition, The Thylacine, Legend That Spawned a Knife. The Thylacine, an intriguing and unusual knife conceived and crafted by Tasmanian engineer Les Curry, is a camp survival knife based on practicability and f- of field usage and design with all the essential features of a bushman's knife. Having established then that this is no sh- there is no shortage of interest and ideas among knife enthusiasts, and given that there is an abundance of expertise among knife makers, why don't we boast a knife manufacturing industry? Our domestic market is strong and the potential to market unique Australianized designs overseas is virtually unlimited. We have had in the past knife manufacturers who have come and gone or altered the nature of their business. Turn of the century factories operated by W. Gino Baker and Thomas Chapman and Son produced various knives for the nation's settlers. Shortly thereafter, Whittingslow in South Australia and Gregory in Victoria also manufactured pocket knives and fixed blades for civilian and military use. However, all the knife manufacturing ventures eventually petered out. It is obvious that any firm co- contemplating knife manufacturing must first assess the popular needs of this country's users and plan export markets from the outset because our low population makes it difficult to make economic ends meet whilst the product gains acceptance and is properly promoted. The flagship of such a firm ought to be an all Aussie knife bearing distinct features appropriate to the Australian environment and particular user activities, either recreational or otherwise. My personal opinion concerning design features, given there is less emphasis these days on hunting knives, is that custom knife makers and intending manufacturers focus on bushcraft, environmental survival styles, for people still succumb to a powerful urge to get back to nature. An increasing number of bushcraft courses are being supported by men and women from all walks of life who seek to survive in the wilderness. Let's give them a true blue Aussie bushcraft knife they can strap to their hip and wear with pride, an edge tool created to cope with our specific bush survival demands. No longer must we adopt the she'll be right attitude and choose from the general array of imported knives displayed in retail stores. Near enough is not good enough, especially when one's life is at stake. Uh, There you go, guys. The Aussie knife. What do we think of that? Bloody awesome. What's the closest we've got now to a manufacturing industry? Um, we can't even manufacture our own medicines and face masks, dude. So, you know, I think knife making is about as close as we get to a manufacturing industry. I'm just going to show you guys a picture. If anybody has seen any of the knives in the uh, in this article, by all means, um, uh, send us a picture of them, like ones that are, that are mentioned there. It's uh, it seems pretty interesting. I'm not so sure what I think of the Kakadu bushcraft knife. If anyone's got a picture of it, um, put it up. Let's have a look what that what that was. Yeah, what are your thoughts, boys? I think the closest we've got at the moment in terms of a production style facilities or knife makers would be Robert Herbert, R&N Blades, and Dom Binkett. and they're both you know Rob Robert R&N Blades. We'll have to get him on here some stage, but um, 
you know, he's he's doing a fairly high level, but it's only him and a couple of blokes helping out in his workshop. So, you know, watching what he does, it's fairly amazing to get the output. And same with Dom. It's Dom and a, an employee. We've had Dom on the show, of course. Yeah, they're still, they're still small in the big scheme of things. Like, they're not production when you think about production. You can go online and have a look at Swiss Army Knife put getting put together. They've got buckets with 10,000 blades in them. Yeah. And there's actually, there's a few people that have been making knives for, the, he mentions there the uh, specific knife requirements of telephone technicians, energy commission, linesmen, emergency services. There are stuff that happens, particularly in the emergency services, and also the whale rope cutting knives. You guys ever seen those? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they use them to cut the, um, they make them to cut the uh, nets off whales that are migrating up the coast. Yeah. Fishing, old fishing nets. So, yeah. yeah, anyway, pretty interesting. That's 30-year-old article, 29 to be precise. I have to actually say Alistair Phillips gets a little shout-out there too because he's designed uh, that knife, the Spyderco have in production, the, the redback one. Yeah. And I, I, those Kapara. commissions that I'm assuming I'm assuming you get some sort of commission, but um, assuming he does get a commission, those commissions would be quite handy for a, for a knife maker. You know, to sort of just yeah, provide some bread and butter income, rain, hail and shine. Yeah, if you can get bread and butter. Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Worcestershire sauce, there's plenty of that still. <laughs> oh, yeah. Make yeah. jerky, that's it. Yeah. No, nah, that's good. That's good. It's Like I said, it's interesting to hear the point of view from Keith back then. And, you know, they're all valid points about if you want to get into the business of knife making as a business production business especially you're going to have to come up with some really serious designs and get a lot of backing to be able to do it yeah we're not talking about 120 to 50 like thousands that that yeah. is serious tooling and serious demand yeah that's right become a new buddy bark or essay or one of those companies you know don't know don't know will we see it in our lifetime maybe not Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Australia's manufacturing industry, frankly, you can only hold your head in shame when you can't even manufacture a brick anymore. We're bringing our bricks from China. Like, for fuck's sake. This is just for fuck's sake, really. Like, we have heaps of mud here, guys. We can burn it. We can, we can fucking do this, honestly. Yeah. Well, you may have to do this soon while everybody's going to go to isolation. Yeah. So what's your plans, guys? What are we going to do while we're locked in our cupboards for weeks? Well, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to get into my workshop. I've, got a couple, I've actually just taken a couple of extra orders on because now with the shows not in uh, the immediate future, with Blade Show now, trip not happening, I've got space, so I've just taken on a couple of extra orders from people that I was sitting on the fence on. So I'm going to get into my workshop, crack out some knives for these people. I said start playing around with Damascus Steel again. That will be fun. Uh, might might put that as an option for people on my courses. They can buy a piece of Damascus steel. Don't know, but that that's my plan. Just try and do business as usual. I've still got people contacting me that are um, signed up for future courses, asking me if things are going ahead. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Unless you get sick, don't come if you're sick. No, no, stay away. Stay away. I've got a sore throat and a runny nose today, but fuck, man, I, I think it's just psychosomatic, so I think I'm just fucking overthinking this thing. Yeah. What do you call that? Um, psychotic? I don't know, whatever that word is. Hypochondriac. Hypochondriac. <laughs> psychosomatic. It's all yours, Kev. 
Thanks, guys. Well, I was just going to say thanks, guys. It's another good episode. Uh, funny, funny times ahead. Uh, and we'll see you for another episode in the next week or two. Wash thanks. your fucking hands. Yeah, wash your hands, you filthy buggers. Buy some soap from my mate, Base Soaps. Go online, look at Base Soaps. That's a good product. Um, go buy some soap off him. He's another small business that's going to be struggling like a fucker. I know one small business that's already struggling as we've had to go down. It's Gamaco. So if you actually want to buy something, uh, even if you don't, get on there and have a look at our products. And and um, we're still shipping. Everything's still going to plan at the time this episode's recorded. Um, and we need your orders. We really do more than ever because we this is going to be a rough one for everyone to ride out. I don't know how we're going to do it. Go to, go, if, if, you, if you're courageous, go to a cafe and buy a cup of coffee or a hamburger or something, support your local businesses. And, Get on to and it. And whether you're courageous or not, lock yourself in your shed, use plenty of belts and steel and make knives. Thanks, guys. Yeah, <laughs> post up on our Facebook page the projects you're getting up to while you're in isolation. Show us, show us what's going yeah, on. No, that'd be awesome, guys. Keep us um, keep us informed. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. All right. Nice. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye, guys.